0: Welcome to another podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. You can find out more about CGI Burlington on our website at cgiburlington.org. It's the ninth day of the ninth month of God's calendar, a whole 153 days until Passover. That means a lot of snow and a lot of cold weather before then. Every time we get together, it seems, the last number of weeks, the world scene dramatically changes. Now, was from Russia to France, now we're concerned in Belgium. The fears in Belgium apparently today are, are very drastic. There's an extreme fear. They've been told to stay in their homes if they do not need to go out today, last night and this morning. Fears are now even beginning to hit very much closer to home. There's all this debate now about refugees and do we let them in or do we not let them in? If we do, what do we do with them? So, every week when we get together, the world scene changes. Have you ever had a dream that you could not understand? Not one of those dreams that helps your subconscious sort things out. Perhaps you... Don't remember your dreams. I sleep typically too soundly to remember any dreams. I, I, I re- very rarely remember dreams. But those dreams that you have you completely baffled when you wake up. Again, I generally don't remember my dreams. But a few weeks ago, and I haven't even shared. I don't even think I've shared this with my family. I had a dream. I was at the council meetings in Cincinnati, and I got on the plane to come back home on Sunday night, and as Most of you who know me, I can fall asleep anywhere if need be. And I sat down in the, in the the chair and just in the, in the interim between sitting down and taking off, I had ended up falling asleep. And I woke up because I had this dream. I dreamed that on this flight, we were in, we were in the air. It was very vivid. And there was a, an, an air emergency and it was clear that we were going down. But I had enough time to get on the phone and to call Lisa. And I did get, happen to get her on the phone. We had some, I just I mentioned that things were not good, that I was in the air, that we were going down, not to worry that I loved her and the kids, to make sure they stay true to God and that everything would be okay. And that's all I had time for. Please don't talk. I need I need time to get this out. We don't have much time. And I was able to convey those thoughts that I needed to convey. And I woke up and we were still on the ground thankfully. But I woke up in a sweat. But it was one of those dreams that grabs you and they're very rare for me, one of those dreams that really just just shocks you. When you dream, how often do you dream? What was that about? If you remember your dreams, I don't know if, if who does, but when you do, what was that about? And you try to figure out was Was there a purpose behind this dream? Is there something I don't understand? Why did I dream that? In some cases, it can leave you in a state of fear. Let's go to Daniel chapter 10, because Daniel and John went through something similar. They had visions that rattled them to their course. And I know we've talked about this a lot lately. I'd like to go back to Daniel chapter 10 and look at how this this vision went straight, straight to Daniel's core. There's no other way to say it. It just went straight to his core. Daniel chapter 10 and in verse 7. This is where we'll begin. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. For the men who were with me did not see the vision. But a great terror fell upon them, so that they fled to hide themselves. Therefore, I was left alone when I saw this great vision. And no strength remained in me, for my vigor was turned to frailty in me, and I retained no strength. Yet I heard the sound of his words, and while I heard the sound of his words, I was in a deep sleep on my face, with my face to the ground. So it's very picturesque here. It's very descriptive here. We can see all that Daniel had gone through in his dreams, all that God had allowed him to see. And he was alone, and he was asleep on the ground, and he was shaken. And suddenly a hand touched me, which made me tremble on my knees and on the palms of my hands. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. While he was speaking this word to me, I stood trembling. Then he said to me, do not fear. Fear not, Daniel, if you have a King James For from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come because of your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me twenty-one days. And behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. Obviously, some supernatural battling going on between the archangels. Now, Verse 14, I've come to make you understand what will happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision refers to many days yet to come. Don't be afraid, Daniel. I know what you're seeing. You don't understand. I know it's shaking you because you're looking at what's going to happen to your people, to your friends and your family, your those who come after you. But don't be afraid, he says. Revelation 1, we see similar circumstances to John. John is now a very old man, having outlasted all of the original apostles, all of the apostles, all of the original 12 disciples who became the apostles. Revelation 1, verse 10 I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, again talking about a vision that God had provided to him and had taken him to a time forward that we call the Lord's day. And I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet, saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that, I, that, I, that spoke with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet, and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as it refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. So again, like Daniel, John was transported through a dream, through a vision, into a time in the future, that was overwhelming, that things were going to start happening that he didn't understand at this point. And he was shaken. And God reached down, Christ reached down, and said, Don't be afraid. There's nothing to fear. Both Daniel and John needed God's comforting after having their visions and after having written them down. What they saw, they were both alone John was alone on the Isle of Patmos. Daniel specifically said he was all by himself. So you can imagine being in this state where they were being spoken to by God. They clearly felt the power of God was speaking to them, that they had this, these visions from Him. And there was no one at this point to share them with. So they're dealing with all this emotion, with all this potential fear, with all this potential disaster. And He reached down and told them not to fear. Relax. Don't be afraid and just write this stuff down. Pastor Adrian, in the week after after the feast spoke, gave a sermon entitled, This is That. and He encouraged us to pay close attention to prophecy in our studies, and not not to turn away from prophecy, not to be spooked by it, but to pay attention to prophecy, particularly to the book of Revelation. Because, as we know, it reveals the remainder of God's plan. And not just the end, but all the steps leading up to it. The six trumpets before the last trumpet that we look forward to. The remainder of God's plan from Christ himself after his ascension to the Father. Growing up in the church, and I'm sure we've talked about this at some point in our after-service discussions, prophecy scared me. I grew up in a similar church to ours, and it was one where prophecy was invoked a lot, prophecy was taught a lot. But when I was growing up, I avoided a lot of prophecy because it scared me. In some ways, I never really understood the purpose of prophecy until much later in life. It scared me because I didn't understand. When I was young, it freaked me out. You'll recall in some of our discussions, my my thoughts about the lake of fire. And do we jump in? Do we dive in? How is that going to work when it comes to the point of the lake of fire? That was what was on... The mind of a 10- and 12-year-old was what was going to happen when it came time to receive that punishment. How was it going to feel? What was it going to be like? Because prophecy scared me. God doesn't want us to study such an important and sizable portion of his word with fear. It amounts to a third of the Bible. He doesn't want us to be afraid while we're reading it. It's like the old adage that police use in interrogations. If you've done nothing wrong, there's nothing to be scared about. He doesn't want us to fear reading prophecy. We have nothing to fear when we've done nothing wrong. Turn with me to John chapter 15. Before we lay the stage here for the rest of the message. John chapter 15. Because there's some interesting perspectives here on what Christ has revealed to us. First of all, when we read here in John chapter 15, verse 15, and again reminding that this is Christ's evening of the Lord's Supper, the New Testament Passover service, and his discussion alone with his disciples in the upper room before he was arrested and taken away. Verse 15 of John 15, No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. So here he tells us that everything God's told him, he has made known. There's nothing more to tell. Everything I've been here for, for with you for a number of years, There's nothing more to tell you. I've told you everything that the father has told me to tell you. Then later on that evening, chapter 16, flipping over the page to verse 12. I still have many more things to say to you. I thought he said he's told us everything there is to say. He's told us everything that the father has given him to say. There are still many more things yet to say. But you cannot bear them now. You're not ready for them. Daniel and John were barely ready, and it freaked them out. However, when the Spirit of truth has come and will guide you into all truth, it will not speak on its own authority, but whatever it hears, it will speak and will tell you things to come. So when he provides the Holy Spirit, through the Holy Spirit, Christ will reveal more to us, he says. And it won't be on the authority of the Holy Spirit. It will come from God the Father, just like he said in chapter 15, that he has made known everything the Father has made known to him. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take care of mine and will declare it to you. So while when he was here, he told us everything that there was to know, that we needed to know about the reason for his first coming and to prepare us for his second coming but he then tells us that there will be more revealed to us when we are ready to hear it then it wasn't they weren't ready to hear it then there will come a time that we need to know some more things and the the church the group will be ready to bear it ready to hear it so the first part Reveal, talks about the, the Gospels and the, the Acts of the Apostles relevant to his first coming and sort of a lead up into his second coming here we see that the Holy Spirit will reveal more to us about his second coming because he's already revealed everything that there was to know during his first coming so whatever is about to come has to do with the future and that's where the book of Revelation comes in. A re- revealing of what Daniel had to seal up until the time of the end. And We'll look at that scripture a little bit later. We know that Pastor Adrian will be speaking next week on the symbolism of Revelation 6. What we need to do and what we're going to do today is we're going to set the stage for that and for future studies on the book of Revelation By looking at the introductory chapters. Because it's important to know before we get into all the symbology and the symbolism that comes with the visions that John had. That we need to know why Christ revealed it, who he revealed it to, and what his purposes were. And we'll know once we do that, we'll look at why it's important to know these things. So let's review how Christ set the stage for his revelation, and see why, despite all of the scary scenes, all those types of scenes that had John needing to be told to fear not, all the things that Daniel heard that he was told not to worry, and set the stage for the entire book of Revelation, which really, the vision really begins in chapter 6. We're going to take a look at the lead-up into that. Let's go to Revelation chapter 1. We're going to spend a lot of time here. I don't know how long this is going to be. I'm going to try not to run on too long. But there's a lot of things I I want to get in before we start next week talking about Revelation 6 and the symbology that begins there. Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ. So again, it's not John's revelation, just like the feasts in Leviticus 23 weren't the feasts of Moses. This was the revelation of Christ, which God gave him, which the father gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place. So, again, this is written to the faithful, his servants. This isn't written to the world at large. This isn't written to to anyone who just happens to open their their Bible. He is revealing it to his servants, to the faithful. as a way to encourage them and to re-engage them. And we're going to see that as we, as we go through here. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John. Important that John was involved. He was the last, as we already said, of the, of the apostles. The last one to be a witness of Jesus Christ. And here John spoke to, to him at the end of his life and revealed this vision to him. who bore witness to the Word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, to all things that he saw. So John was a witness, not just to this vision, but a witness of Christ when he was here on this earth, a witness to his resurrection, a witness to all that he taught, and we've heard for the last three weeks all about being a witness. Excellent messages from Pastor Ramakon and Brother Jan on being a witness. And all that that really means. And interestingly enough, this word witness here is that Greek word for martyr that we've heard talked about for the last three weeks. And all that it means not just to witness, but to be a true witness. And we got that from Brother Jan over the last two weeks. So as we read and study this book of Revelation, understand that it is the witnessing to us by Christ through John. That Christ is witnessing, just like we've heard about for the last three weeks. Witnessing his truth, what is to come, and what his expectations are of what the future holds in store for us. His servants. Not the world at large, but his servants. Verse 3, blessed is he who reads, and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are in it, for the time is near. So there's three parts to this. We read, we hear, and we keep. We read, we hear, and we keep. So there's some expectation here for God's people, His servants. The word blessed is the same Greek word, Makarios, that is used in the Beatitudes back in Matthew chapter 5. Blessed is He, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the peacemakers. That whole list of Beatitudes. It is the same word there. And it translates into the word happy. Happy is he. So we've got John writing this down full of fear. And, and at this, at the initially full of fear. But the purpose of this is to make his servants happy. To calm. To, to put them at ease. To encourage them. So we've got this whole vision that we know is coming, that we're going to be studying about in the next number of weeks. But Christ's command here, through John, is to be happy when you read this. It is a blessing. You will be happy if you read it, if you hear it, and if you put it into practice. So as we start to break apart the symbology and read about what is coming and try to put world events that is unnerving a lot of people and finally, finally unnerving some people close to home, finally we're getting a little worried not enough, and maybe a little too late, but we are starting to get a little worried back here. God's people, his servants, are told to be happy, be blessed as you read this. So let's keep that in mind as we go through this. And to keep the things in this prophecy. So there are going to be some directives we're going to read about that we will be blessed by reading, hearing, and keeping. To John, verse 4, to the seven churches which are in Asia. So there is a specific audience here to the seven churches which are in Asia. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. And again, keep in mind, there's a lot of symbology here. There's a lot of symbology here. And from Jesus Christ the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth. So, grace to you and peace from him who is and was and is to come, is the Father, because he delineates later on, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over all of the earth. To him, talking about Christ, who loved us, and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father, to him, to the Lamb, to Christ, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. So we're looking again, understanding that this is looking future, we're again looking at, as we know, as we have an opportunity from our vantage point to look back at scripture and to to look back on our our history of studying the Bible, we're looking at this kingdom of God that will be under the rule of Jesus Christ. So it's written to the seven churches. Behold, he, verse 7, is coming with the clouds. Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him, even so. So, it is really important for us to understand this introduction. So let's look at what we've just read. It's from Christ to his servants to tell them the things that are are going to come in relation to Christ's return. It's to the seven churches. Now, keep in mind, this was a vision. We're going to get into the seven churches a little bit later. At the very least, these churches represent the church because 7 is a number is a picture's completeness was it two church eras we're going to get into that a little bit later in the message but here John was writing to the church John was writing to the body of Jesus Christ understanding that it was God the holy spirit which is god's power and acknowledging that it was Christ who will be given glory and dominion as the king of kings and lord of lords in this coming kingdom. And what is the message of this? So he's got all this introduction, who it's written to, why it's written, and and, and he's stated some of the players. We just read verse 7. Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. So behold and amen. This is the reason for the, for the revelation, because Christ is coming. So there's something we need to know before he comes. There's something we need to know why he comes, what's going to happen. Whatever this vision is, it all revolves around the fact that Christ is coming back, and we can't lose sight of that. Despite all of the symbolism and what it might mean, and the lead-up, this is about the return of Jesus Christ, because he is going to come back in the clouds, back to earth, and everyone will bow down and and worship him. Everybody will see him, even those who killed him. They will know he is the Messiah, and he is the returning one. And we know there's other prophecies that talk about how they will either fight against him, or come under his rule. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. They will realize that their efforts are wrong. But it's all about the return of Jesus Christ. That Verse 7, we can't lose sight of that as we go through the entire prophecy. Verse 8, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. So here Christ is, again, revealing himself as the Revelator. Verse 9, Verse 9, I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. So here, he sort of set a little bit of the introduction, and he takes an aside here, and he's writing, setting the setting for himself. So we know as a witness, because he sent it to his servant John, who bore witness to, the, to Christ and to Christ's testimony. So John, John is, is reaffirming his authority here as a witness of, of Christ in his first coming. In the, in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Christ was on the island which is called Patmos for the Word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. So he was imprisoned there because of his work in promoting the gospel. And as we already said, we've gone through this already, we'll quickly Go run through it again. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. So he was in a vision. God had transported him in this vision to the return of Jesus Christ, to the time around the return of Jesus Christ. This is what the Lord's day is called. It has nothing, as we know, preaching to the choir here, has nothing to do with Sunday worship, which is where some of the Sunday worship extracts that verse. And because they call it the Lord's day now, they invoke that this means Sunday. This is simply that John was transported through a vision, like I was on the plane, into some... Imaginary, not imaginary, but in some, some vision to this potential disaster in the air, John is transported to a future time through his vision to Christ, the time of Christ's return. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet, saying, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia. So he's simply saying he's a conduit for this revelation from Christ. And as a witness to him in his, in his first coming, he's assuring us this came from Christ. He is 100% confident as, as an apostle, as a witness to the, to, to the human Christ, to his, his time on earth and his death and resurrection. He heard that voice, my sheep remember, my sheep know my voice. John knew this was from Christ, there was no doubt and he's setting the stage for his authority in writing this down, that this is fact, this came directly from Jesus Christ himself. Write it down and send it to the churches. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. One, like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice is the sound of many waters. Those who know the Hebrew Scriptures can recall Moses being put in a crevice and being able to see the backside with with the, the hand covering the eyes. So this is not necessarily new. It adds a little more color, a little more light to what the spirit world might be like, what Christ might look like, would look like in his spiritual body. That we read about in Corinthians. He had in his right hand seven stars. And out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. We know the sharp two-edged sword, again, refers to his word. In other places in the New Testament, the the word of God is like a sharp two-edged sword. And his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet. As dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, "Don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am He who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of hades and death. Remember what Paul wrote about in 1 Corinthians 15: that death eventually will die. O oh, death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory?" This is pointing to that future time that John knows about when death will be a thing of the past. That Christ will lock the doors to death and no, we, will not, we will be eternal. We will have everlasting life. Write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after this. So just be a conduit for this revelation. Just be, be my messenger and write down everything that, I, that you see. The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven seven golden lampstands. So the mystery are these stars and these lampstands. There's a whole lot of symbology coming, but the mystery is about the stars and the lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. So the focus here, from the words of Jesus Christ, despite all of the stuff that we're going to read about, is the church. Is the, is the church. The, the focus is the church. And we're going to get into it a little bit more, a little bit later. The other symbols are important. Critical to understanding the vision and all that it, all that it means and why he reveals it. But let's not lose sight of what the Revelator himself says is important, and that the mystery is about the, the stars and the lampstands, about the angels and the churches, and the churches. and The angels being the ones who provide the messages we're going to see in chapter 2. And keep note, in verse 19, write the things which you have seen, and the things which are, and the things which will take place after this. In the King James Version, it says after these things. The message revolves around the messages to the churches. We're going to go now to chapter 2 because the mystery is about these seven golden lampstands, these churches. We won't take time to run through chapter 2 and chapter 3 because we heard a message by Pastor Adrian before about the minimum factor where he went through and covered Ephesus. And talked about their strengths and their weaknesses. And how he was was telling them their strengths, but he was pointing out their weaknesses because they needed to up their game. Because they could only carry enough water, so to speak, up to that minimum level. And when we go through all of these churches, we see that Christ is giving a review of the condition of the church. So the seven stars are the angels of the messengers, and we see verse 1 to the angel of the church of Ephesus right. Verse 8 to the angel of the church of Smyrna right. So this angel are these stars. So we've got, in John's vision, we've got the Son of Man standing in the middle, and around him are these seven golden lampstands with the seven stars. So when we consider the body of Christ is the church, we see... The churches before Christ. And the stars, the angels, are taking Christ's message to the church. Let's hold your place there. Let's go back to John 16, which we read already, but let's go back and point it out again. John 16. Remind us that there were still many more things he needed to say. Verse 12. John 16 and verse 12. But you can't bear them now. But he is going to, through the Holy Spirit, tell us the things that will come. We we covered that in verses 12 through through 15 there. So there's still many more things to say. But through the Spirit, he will tell us the things that will come. Let's go back here now. And we see... These stars conveying the message from the Son of Man on the condition of the congregations, condition of the church, condition of the people. Are these errors? Errors are an interpretation. Interpretations may or may not be true. So I'm not here to say it is, yes, or it isn't an interpretation of church error. And for those of you who are unfamiliar with church error, there was a teaching, is a teaching, that an interpretation of this is that these represent the seven uh, chronological eras of the church from when the church began at Pentecost in Acts 2 until the return of Jesus Christ. That's an interpretation. It may or may not be true. And if it's true, I'm not going to stand in the way of God and argue with him. What we can't get caught up in is focusing on that debate without seeing that this is a message to the church. And each section ends with uh, verse 7. He who has an ear, and remember, these are written to his servants back in chapter 1. This all goes together. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So if I'm in Ephesus, the, the expectation from God is that I listen to the message for all seven churches. Not just to the message of the church I belong to. So regardless of its errors, the message from Christ, the command from Christ, is that we hear the message that he presents to all the churches. And when we consider that seven is completeness, and we look at all that this is about, we can't miss what God is trying to tell us. And Pastor Adrian covered that in his Minimum Factor sermon. And What God is trying to tell us is, We've come a long way, but there's still so much work that is left to be done, our minimum factor. Some, when we, when we consider the cross-section of these seven churches, where Christ presents their strengths and their faults, some have lost their love for God. Some tolerate sin. Some tolerate the soiling of true worship with practices from other religions. Some have no life left in them. They've quenched the Spirit. Wherever you fall in your self-assessment, get busy working on it. That's what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Hear what the Spirit is saying to all the churches because you'll find your weaknesses somewhere in that group, in that complete group of the body of Christ. And as we consider those weaknesses, we can consider that these are general weaknesses of God's people. Some have lost their zest for life. Some have lost their true love, just in going through the motions. Some tolerate sin. Some tolerate forms of worship that shouldn't be in the body, whatever that means. Wherever we fall, hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Because the whole the reason why I'm going to reveal this to you It matters where you are in the body, and it matters where you are in your growth. That's the purpose of the revelation. The mystery, back in verse 1, are the stars, the angels, and the lampstands. The mystery is why God is telling his church, through these seven churches, through these seven angels, their strengths and their weaknesses. What is the point of getting so concerned about that at this point? That's the mystery. So before we get into the symbology, he's, he tells us, I'm going to reveal things which must shortly take place. But before we do, understand what the, the reason I'm doing this is because of the church. And I need the church, I need the body of Christ, the servants that are listed in verse 1 at the very beginning, to be as strong as they can be. Because there's stuff coming that they need to be strong for. So this stuff is coming. We can't get away from that. What we need to do is make sure we're ready for it. And that's why he takes us through these seven churches. And again, errors are an interpretation. It may or may not be true. Regardless of whether it is true, we can't get away from the fact that Christ tells us, let him hear what the Spirit says to all the churches. Because we need to be strong. We need to be unified and we need to be ready for the times that are coming. So let's pass through chapter two and three. Take time to read them. Take time to we may go back at some future point and break them down one by one. But for those of you interested in that, I look back to Pastor Adrian's message on the minimum factor back in about August, I think, where he breaks down Ephesus, the same breakdown. Breaking down of of those seven verses can be done for the other six churches. Chapter 4. Now we're looking at chapter 4. Back to chapter 1. And read verse 19. I told us to keep an eye on verse 19. Write the things which you have seen, and the things which are, and the things which will take place after this. And then he goes to tell about the churches. After these things... So after John looks out and sees the condition of the seven churches, and he sees Ephesus and Smyrna and Pergamos and Thyatira and all the seven churches and their conditions, and he writes all this down, he reconnects with the end of chapter 1 after these things. I looked, and behold a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, come up here, and I will show you the things which must take place after this. So he is still following along with what is being, what he's being told as he introduced it to us in chapter 1, the things which must shortly take place. God, through Jesus Christ, God gave to Christ the revelation to give to his servants the things which must shortly take place. So we are now transported back into the throne room of the Father. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance. And remember, is this, what, this was what God revealed himself to John in his vision. It's interesting to read through what the spirit world might look like, what God might look like, all oh, his, his magnificent glory. Let's not get too caught up in the jaspers and all the, the details here. John was told to write everything he saw. Remember that. So John is just busy scratching away as quickly as he can. Some of you have been students in, in a, in a, in a humanity setting or perhaps in, in a scientific setting, and you just start, you're in a lecture, and you're just writing for your life. Just get everything down. I'll look at it later. I need to get everything down. So I'm busy writing. Here he's just busy writing. And there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. And around the throne were 24 thrones. And on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white robes. And they had crowns of gold on their heads. And, the, and from the throne proceeded lightnings, thunderings, and voices. And seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Again, we can go into some of the symbology. We know there's one Holy Spirit, seven is completeness. Again, let's not get caught up too much in the symbology today. There's, as we go through, the, through, through these, the study of revelation, we will break some of this down. Let's focus on why God revealed this, who the message was to, and what his expectations are. Before the throne, there was a sea of glass like crystal, and in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures, full of eyes in front in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second living creature like a calf. The third living creature had a face like a man. and The fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within, and they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. This is true worship of God. Worship is simply worshiping God for who he is. When we consider the various forms of worship, and how we feel, and how it makes us feel. True worship, these creatures simply were worshiping God by pointing out his holiness, and reminding themselves that he is holy and eternal. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne, and worship him who lives forever And ever, and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. So, John is now in the throne room of God, and he writes what he sees. And he sees all these creatures, and they're worshiping God. And I saw, verse chapter 5. I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming it with a loud voice. Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. The scroll is in existence and to this point no one has been worthy enough to open it up. No one has been able to open it up. So I wept much, John said, because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, these elders that are surrounding the throne of God, don't weep, don't cry, don't be afraid, relax. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and the four living creatures and the midst of the elders stood a lamb before the throne, a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. When God distributed and made his Holy Spirit after the death of Jesus Christ, he made his Holy Spirit available to all of mankind, anyone who'd come and answer the call. Then he came and took the scroll out of his right hand of him who sat on the throne. So the lamb came and took the scroll from the hand of he who sat on the throne, the one who is, who was and is to come, the Almighty, the Father. Because Christ came and qualified to reveal the Father. We hear, we read, again, There's, we can go back and look up many, many scriptures. But he came to reveal the Father. He told us that. When you see me, you've seen the Father. He's now revealing the mysteries that the Father wants to give to his servants. We don't qualify for salvation. It is a gift. Christ qualified. Christ qualified through his perfect life here on this earth. The symbology remains important, though. I don't want to diminish the importance of all the symbology that is going to come in this vision. But note that with the, the feeling in heaven of being in the throne room of God and the worship that is going on and the celebratory uh, mood that is in heaven at this time because someone was found worthy enough to open the seals. This is important, that they've been waiting for someone to open these seals and someone was found worthy enough to do it. And there's joy in heaven because the seals can be opened. This has been sealed up for years, millennia, awaiting its unveiling. And there is joy in heaven that someone was now able to unveil this and break the seals. He was qualified to open the seals. Again, in the presence of the throne room of God, because this is all about the kingdom of God. That's what we talked about in chapter 1. So right now, the kingdom of God is in heaven. So that's right now where John was transported to, to get a picture of the kingdom of God, a picture of what the Messiah looks like, a picture of what the Father looks like, as they, as they, as he revealed to him. So this is the kingdom of God in its present state, in heaven, in its, in its confined state, whatever that is, certainly not where it will be throughout the universe in the future. But he was qualified to open the seals. Let's go back, keep your finger there. Revelation 5. Let's go back to Daniel. Daniel chapter 8. Certainly stuff we've already studied and we know, but it's important as we set the stage for understanding the reason for Revelation that we go back here and see this, that Christ was qualified to open these, the seals of this scroll. What scroll? What was sealed? Daniel 8, verse 26. <coughs> verse 23. And in the latter time, again, this, one of these visions Daniel had. In the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressors have reached their fullness, a king shall arise having fierce features who understand sinister schemes. His power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. He shall destroy fearfully, and shall prosper and thrive, and he shall destroy the mighty and also the holy people. And through his cunning, he shall cause deceit to prosper under his rule. And he shall exalt himself in his heart. He shall destroy many in their prosperity. He shall even rise against the prince of princes. But he shall be broken without human means. Again, this futuristic battle, supernatural battle, that will come when Satan, the adversary, has one last opportunity, not one last opportunity, but takes one last chance to rise up against Christ. And we see what we will see is Revelation. In our studies, Revelation will break that down in a little more detail. And the vision of the evenings and mornings, which was told, is true. Therefore, seal up the vision, for it refers to many days in the future. Seal it up. It's for later. Chapter 9, verse 24. Seventy weeks are determined for your people in your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. So again, a sealing of what is going to happen. And finally, chapter 12, verse 9, we, no, we didn't touch on that already. Chapter 12, and verse 9. Although I heard... I did not understand. Then I said, my Lord, what shall be the end of these things? And he said, go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed until the time of the end. Daniel's job was to just write, write down what he saw and then seal it up. It's for a future, it's for a future time to have it revealed. The prophecies, these prophecies of the latter days, what is going to happen at the end of time, the end of, the, of our civilization. Most of the other mentioning of the word seal in the Old Testament refers to the sealing of covenants. Here is the sealing of a vision. It is a, seal, a sealing of a futuristic time. That this book that basically Daniel wrote, this book down on a big scroll, rolled it up, sealed it up, And it can't be looked at until someone comes who is found worthy enough to break these seals and reveal it to to people. Which is where we go back to Revelation chapter 5 now. And see the ecstasy in heaven that someone is finally able and qualified to break these seals. And it is the Lamb of God who was slain, who came, verse 7, and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll. And to open its seals for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God. And we shall reign on earth, taking these prayers of the saints, the servants back to God through this. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 times. And thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth, under the earth and such as are in the sea and all them that are in them. And I heard saying blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. Then the four living creatures said, amen. And the four, the 24 elders fell down and worshiped him who lives forever and ever. Now, verse chapter six, I saw when the land, lamb opened one of the seals. There's where the vision starts. We, and we will not go any further than that right now, but we can see before we get to this vision, how important it is to understand the introduction that it was to the church that the revelation was to the servants the things which will take place, the things which must take place before the return of Christ. And how important was that vision? John was transported into the throne room of God so he could see what the kingdom of God was like in its present, in its present state, in the throne room, surrounded by the elders, surrounded by the living creatures, all who worshipped God. And they had this, this scroll that has been sealed up since the time of Daniel. when Daniel wrote it all down all that we, we, that we are now privileged to understand. And it was revealed that there's finally someone that can break this seal. And it is the slain lamb of God. That's the whole reason for the revelation. Because the point is the kingdom of God. And who was this written to? It was written to the servants. The church. The body of Christ. And why was all this written down? Because the message to the churches was we need to become better. We need to raise our minimum factor. We need to work on our weaknesses. We need to become stronger. We need to become more unified. Because things will take place that we need to be stronger to endure. So whatever these symbols mean, which, we're going to, which we're, we will get into some messages going forward, we can't forget why this was written. It was written to engage the, the body of Christ to become better. To not be satisfied, to not to not be satisfied with losing their first love, with not be tolerant of sin, to not be tolerant of things that go against our faith, to stand up and to strengthen ourselves for God. Then we skip from here, so we're not going to go into this. We're going to see that this is the the very reason that he ends with, which we spoke about a few weeks ago. So the vision starts in chapter six, like the real meat, the unveiling of the scroll. Everything else is is introductory to that and and setting the stage. Go now to chapter 22. The vision ends in verse 7. And they shall reign forever and ever. We've covered that at the Feast of Tabernacles, the River of Life, New Jerusalem, the River of Life. Verse 8. Then he said to me, the same one that was talking to him back at the beginning, that we already read about. These words are faithful and true. So everything I've just, this vision I've told you, these words are faithful and true. Because John knows the voice of his master. And he recognized it, and he knows these are true. And the Lord God of the Holy Prophet sent his angel to show his servants the things which must shortly take place. He repeats that at the end of the vision. The whole reason for this is to show his people what must take place. Behold, I am coming quickly. And he repeats chapter 1 and verse 3 again. Blessed is he, happy is he, who keeps the words of the prophecy in this book. So He starts out with that, and he finishes with that. Because it is important that the church realizes, the body of Christ realizes, this is the reason for the revelation. That we know what's coming, and that our our purpose is, is to ready ourselves and to keep the words of this prophecy. Now I, John, saw and heard, the, heard these things. And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship you before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. Then he said to me, See that you do not do that, for I am your fellow servant, and of your brethren, the prophets, and of those who keep the words of this book, worship God. So again, this was an angel that was sent by God. And John fell down to worship him. And being just an angel... The angel pointed out, you do not worship me, stand up. He said to me, do not seal the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. There was a time to seal this. That time is past. It is now time to open this and keep it revealed. When it was first given to Daniel, they weren't ready yet. And he said so back in Revelation. They weren't ready. Now, keep it open. It has been revealed, and it will stay revealed. He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he who is holy, let him be holy still. Again, holy conduct required of God's people. And behold, I am coming quickly. That was what this whole message was about. Remember back in chapter 1? It was about the coming of Christ. Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me, and to give to everyone according to his work. Back to chapter 2 and chapter 3, about improving ourselves and working for God, and, and improving on our minimum factor, improving on our weaknesses. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life, and may enter through the gates of the city, But outside, outside of this city, people who will not be allowed in, dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. There are consequences ultimately for behavior. And as we we proceed through this vision, God is pointing out that his character matters. Our actions matter. Because at the end of this, it determines where we stand. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. And the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, come. And let him who thirsts, come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. We've covered that in recently. For I testify, again, a witness testifies. So this is John now taking the witnessing of Christ and acting again as a witness. He's testifying because he knows Christ. He, he, he knows his master's voice. He was here when Christ walked this earth. He saw him die. He saw him be resurrected. He saw him after his resurrection. I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. And if anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book, of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. It, is, it, it was so important. That it stayed sealed until someone was qualified enough to reveal it. And that was Christ. And it is such an important prophecy that we can't touch it. We can't add to it or take away from it. It is that important. It was so important that it stayed sealed for centuries until someone was qualified enough to open it. In between this is the vision. Chapter 6, verse 1. Chapter 22, verse 7. And it takes us to that first, from that first seal through to the fulfillment of the, the fall holy days, the coming kingdom of God, when the new Jerusalem will descend, and God himself will be with us. The introduction was written to the churches. Remember the mystery of the seven stars, which are the angels, and the seven golden lampstands, which are the churches. That's the mystery. That is what this was about. It is about the body of Christ. It places the entire revelation into context. When we understand why it was written, what the purpose was for, what it was really pointing to, who it was about, the players that are involved in this, it puts the entire revelation into context. It is about the church. It is about what will precede Christ's return. It is why. It is how to survive it. It is what to focus on so that we can come to the end, like John sees here, And we will reign forever and ever. But there's a lot in the interim. And God is gracious enough to show us what is in play here. So before we close, you have a little bit more here that I would like to get through. And it's some general comments on prophecy and its purpose. Specifically in relation to reading through the book of Revelation, studying the book of Revelation, and understanding the the context of prophecy. Prophecy is a warning, and always has been, as we've seen through our study of the the biblical narrative, to get right and serious about where we are with God. In the Old Testament, in some of the Old Testament prophecies, it was about the coming of the Assyrian Empire, or the coming of the Babylonian Empire, and, and how to theoretically avoid it. If you follow God, these punishments were because they were not following God. And if you want out of this, if you want to be relieved from the oppression of the Assyrians or the Babylonians or the Persians, you get right with God. That was what all of, all of these, were, these prophecies were about. Some were pointing to a future time of Christ's first coming. Some pointed to his second coming. But the warnings to the people were about getting right with God and making sure they were extremely focused on where they were in their walk with God. And then pre-alerted, they were pre-alerted to events that would take everything they had to overcome. If they needed to overcome, here's what's going to happen. You need to be right so you can overcome these events. The message was not only to overcome their weaknesses, but to overcome their pending trials based on their strengths and their faith. That it was possible through their faith to get right with God and overcome these their, their weaknesses and their try and these trials that would come. What it is not about. We cannot get up too caught up, and I, I, I guard my words carefully here. We can't get too caught up in the symbology yet. The symbology is important. We need to break it down. We need to understand the vision. That's why it was open and revealed. That's why the seals were torn off. That's why it was revealed. That's why Daniel spent the last of his life, writing down something he had no clue about. It was scaring him, but he had no clue. He was just told, don't worry, relax, write it down. There will be a time as we study this to understand the symbology. But we must understand what the revelation is really all about, who it is to and why. Before we get get caught up in what the symbols mean, we need to know why he gave it to us, who he gave it to, and the reason for it, which is what we've talked about today. Again, we talked a little bit about church errors, some of the symbology. What do the four creatures and the 24 elders refer to? There's a time for breaking that down. Do the churches refer to church errors? Is this really the focus? When we consider church errors, as an example, and again, it may, it may be a true interpretation. But we need to see it as an interpretation because you can't read that into the text. But what I do see from those who do, some people who do believe in church errors, they use it to divide the body. I'm in Philadelphia. You're a Laodicean. That's not what the revelation is all about. That is not why he sealed it. That is not why he waited for someone worthy enough Qualified enough to break the seals to open it? It is about unifying the church and making the church better. When we use prophecy to divide people, that's a misuse of prophecy. And that is for sure. So while church errors, as an example, as one of the interpretations of Revelation, may or may not be true, it may in fact be true. When it is used to divide God's people and to separate them, to put them in different camps... That is being misused. If we are to study the book of Revelation, moving on to another point, if we are to study it deeply because it was preserved for a long time, as we said, before someone was qualified enough to break it open, we must go into it with a spirit of excitement, not trepidation. A spirit of confidence and faith, not fear. That's why he said, blessed and happy are you. If you hear this, Read it, hear it, and do it. So we can't be scared when we read these things. And when we go through them, like I said, when it is misused, when it is used as a marketing niche, as it has been used in the past, that's scary. I grew up scared of prophecy because it was used as a marketing niche, that you need to save your skin, so come into our church to save your skin, because there will be mushroom clouds and, and nuclear bombs, and, and you'll be protected here. all that is true but is used to scare the revelation was used to quell fear revelation was used to calm when we see what's going on in the world around us and we see our nation ready half of our nation ready to impeach a prime minister that we just elected because he's going to allow potentially a group of people in that will harm us this is all fear God is telling us we don't need to be fearful. He revealed all this stuff to us so that we don't fear, so that we're not scared, so that we're confident that we know we stay true and we follow the instructions to the churches, which is to listen to what the Spirit says to the churches and make yourselves better, make yourselves unified individually and collectively. That is the purpose of the revelation is to quell fear. Matthew chapter 10, we've got a few more scriptures to look at. Matthew chapter 10. And it's important that we go through this in the lead up to breaking apart this, this, this book as we're going to do in the coming weeks. Matthew chapter 10, verse 26. Therefore, do not fear them, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed, hidden that will not be known. Whatever I tell you in the dark, you speak in the light. And what you hear in the ear, you preach on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body and cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both body and soul. So we are privileged to have this, these prophecies unveiled to us, to know that there are things coming, that when we see this stuff happening, yeah, that matches up. Is, is the beast Islam? Is the beast the Roman Catholic Church? We'll get into a little bit of that in a few minutes. We are pleased to know that there is a beast and what the beast will be doing. We are pleased to know all of these things. We're blessed to know all of these things. And it is not done to scare us. It's done to calm us. And when we see what's going on around us, we can be calm despite what's going on around us. We won't turn there, but we just studied Acts chapter 7. We see Stephen's calmness in the face of persecution, in the face of pending death. It was a spirit of forgiveness. First John four, verse eighteen. You can you can write this down, you can turn there, I can quote it for you. Let's turn there, because we that's what we said we we're going to do. First John chapter four, verse eighteen. Perfect love casts out fear. The love of God, agape, casts out fear. Even with bad news, even with scary events on the horizon, even with The unknown of who might be behind it. Is it the Roman Catholic Church or is it Islam? As things start to change and and we start to to question our previous beliefs, whatever it may be, we don't need to worry either way. Perfect love casts out fear. It's interesting to look back on all of our messages over the, over the the last three years and to see that they all tie together. We are building towards a common need, a need to build the body according to code while the weather is calm, making the big decisions now so that the winds of change come, we are ready to withstand it together. Courage and calmness in the face of evil. What, is the purposes, what are the purposes of prophecy? There are many, and this is not an exhaustive list, but it's an important list as we are about to embark on studying the book. There may be others, but please consider this as we begin to study this book. Matthew chapter 24. Verse 42. And again, we could read more verses, but we, for the sake of time we need to Cut and paste here and take some scriptures out of, out of, not out of context, but from the context. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. And then flip forward, I actually look across the page probably for most of you. Verse 13 of chapter 25. Watch therefore, for you neither know the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Important enough to repeat twice in such a short, short span here. One of the purposes of prophecy is to not get caught unawares. Not to get caught unaware. We know something's going to happen. We don't know where it's going to come from. We have some inclination. We can read and break down the scriptures and have an idea of what to look for. But we must be watching all around us. We can't get so focused on a thought, on an interpretation, that we're focused one way and things are happening behind us that we're not lucky because... You know what, for 30 years i believed something, and it's going to be this, and I'm keeping my eye right there because that's where it's coming from. We need, it may come from there, but while it's coming from there, it, there might be other things happening around us. The purpose of prophecy is to not get caught unaware. One of the purposes of prophecy is not to get caught unaware. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Verse 16, but shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness. We must be aware, we must be watchful, we must be looking in the right direction for the fulfillment of these prophecies, feeling a sense of urgency when required, and not taking the foot off the gas when we don't see things the way we thought they were going to unfold. And when we start to see things that may not look like what we thought, what we can't do is regress into a senseless debate, whether and fight for one way or the other. We need to watch the entire surroundings and make sure that we are not cut on unaware from any direction, from any group of people, from any society, from whatever it is that will be used by God to fulfill these prophecies. We cannot be cut unaware. So we can't get so focused on one way that we, are, we refuse to look in, in other directions. And that goes for which, which, whichever side, whatever you believe. Philippians 2, verse 12. Because we we don't know who God is going to use to fulfill these prophecies. it, it will be revealed to us over time, obviously, as it becomes as it's revealed Philippians two verse twelve therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in in you both to will and to do for His good pleasure, and again. I'm bringing together all of these things that we've talked about over the course of, of these years. This isn't anything new. But remember the study that we did here, that we worked out our own salvation with fear and trembling together. This is, a, this is a, a group setting here that this was written to. We studied that before. Part of the purpose of prophecy is to bring the body together. To have it stop fighting against itself and to bring the body together. To hear what the Spirit says to the church, to the churches, to the, the complete set of churches as revealed in Revelation 2 and 3. We need one another. We can't be busy fighting each other over beliefs, over over idle babblings while the adversary is looking to take us down. We need one another. So part of the purpose of prophecy is to have us focus on the adversary, not on each other, not on, on vain and idle babblings, not on tearing each other down, but to build each other up And to focus on the real adversary. Hebrews chapter (coughs) 1. Hebrews chapter 11. Sorry. Verse 1. Part of the purpose of prophecy. Is to increase our faith. And while you're turning there. To read it in the version that you have. I'd like to read it in the New Living Translation. Again. Not a translation I like to use a lot. Especially from the pulpit. Because it takes a lot of liberties. But I like how. It helps explain the definition of faith. Faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. And it gives us assurance about the things we cannot see. So as God reveals Himself to us in prophecy, and little things start adding up, and little things start, start falling in line, we start hearing our Master's voice, and we know that what we're reading is true, and we're not, and again. It calms us. It unifies us. It does all these things we've been talking about. It also builds our faith. It builds our faith that this is the word of God. That we have nothing to fear. That all of these things that are happening around us, God said it was going to happen, and we can be calm and peaceful about it. And as we see things, as we as we've seen it, as we look forward to, since we've seen stuff that God has said in His Scripture to come to come to fruition, we can have confidence that what we read in the the, the Revelation will also come to fruition. We don't have to fear. Finally, and again, this is, this is in my list. This is not the entire list of the purposes for prophecy, but it's important as we consider these as we go to study this book. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And again, just reviewing stuff that we've discussed and studied over the course of the last few years. 1 Corinthians 14. Verse 1. First Corinthians 14, verse 1. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. You recall we studied quite a bit of Corinthians in reference to gifts. But especially that you may prophesy. Especially that you may prophesy. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands him. However, In the Spirit, he speaks mysteries. But he who prophesies, so we can speak in tongues and confuse everybody, or we can prophesy, and he who prophesies speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort to men. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more so that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. True prophecy teaches, exhorts, and edifies. It teaches, it exhorts us to become better, and it edifies by building us up. It unifies us, it builds us together. True prophecy doesn't tear down, doesn't scare, and doesn't invoke fear. True prophecy teaches, exhorts, and edifies. And we can see that translated right into the whole purpose of the book of Revelation as Christ introduced it to us. Let's finish in 2 Timothy chapter 2 where we were. Recalling that this is the end of Paul's writing after years and years and years of service. This is his last Recorded letter, the last letter that we have in the canon, chronologically by him, this is his last one that he wrote to, to Timothy. Back to chapter two and then verse eight. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel, for which I suffer as an evildoer, even to the point of chains, but the word of God is not chained. As we read this, keep in mind, as we go through the book of Revelation, all that we might be asked to do, all that we might be put through, all that is revealed to the servants, the things which must shortly take place. Therefore, Paul says, verse 10, I endure all things for the sake of the elect. It doesn't matter whether they're Philadelphian or Laodicean, if that's what you believe. Paul endured all things for the sake of the entire elect. That they also may obtain the salvation, which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. This is a faithful saying. For if we died with him, we also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful and he cannot deny himself. Remind them, remind the people, remind the body of these things, Paul tells Timothy. Charging them before the Lord not to strive about words to no profit to the ruin of the hearers. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God. So as we go through Revelation, as we go through and break this apart and and study the things that will take place, it is not to make ourselves feel good. It is not to make ourselves feel better than others. It is not to tear the body apart. It's to be used to bring the body together, to strengthen the entire body, so that we get through these things, whenever they happen, whatever they are, together. Be diligent to present yourself to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightfully dividing, rightfully dividing the word of truth, shunning profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness. We can pull apart the book of Revelation, but if we do it for the wrong reason, it is idle and vain babblings. It can also be used to rightly divide the word of truth, to strengthen, to edify, to exhort, and to teach. And that their message, the message of the idle babblers, will spread like cancer. Hymenius and Philetus are of this sort who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past and they overflow the faith of some. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. Let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from this iniquity. There is a purpose for prophecy. Idle debate is not one of them. Getting right with God and getting prepared for the events that will shortly take place, that will precede the return of Christ, is the purpose of prophecy. Understanding revelation And breaking down the symbols adds no value if it doesn't change you and your walk with God. If it doesn't strengthen your walk, if it doesn't raise your minimum factor, if it doesn't build the body together, if it doesn't unify the body and strengthen the body, understanding, as we will get into next week, who the horsemen are and who they represent, makes no difference if it doesn't change you and strengthen the body. That is, what, that is why Christ revealed that. Revealed the prophecy. It could have stayed as a mystery, but that wasn't God's intent. He wanted to reveal it to strengthen the body, to re, because the mystery was about the seven stars and the seven golden lampstands. The mystery is about the message of the angels to the churches, and that is to get right and get better with God, so that we can endure to the end. I don't like suspense. When I read a book, once I understand the premise through the first two or three chapters, I understand the characters, I skip to the end, actually, and I read the conclusion. I read almost all of John Gershom's books, and by about chapter four, I go to chapter the last chapter, and I figure it out, and I go back, and it is much calmer for me to read the rest of the story. I get to see things that I would not have been looking for. Since I know what's happening, I I get to see what's going on, the purposes for the little nuances of why he wrote. It doesn't bother me that I know the ending. It actually allows me to read the book with calmness and with peace and read the story and be able to piece it together as I go. The same goes for a movie. I typically fall asleep through most movies. As long as I see the first 20 minutes and the last 20 minutes... I don't need to go see the rest of the movie. I I get the whole gist of it. And I don't need to be worried about what happened in between. In fact, that's why I love watching a movie a second time, is because I'm not worried about the ending. I already know everything that's going to happen. In fact, I like watching a movie a second time better than the first time. God has something planned for us that exceeds our imagination. We must remain watchful and open to God revealing his plan to us as we go. We cannot get caught up in interpretations to the point, let me stress this, we cannot get caught up in interpretations to the point where we close our minds off to God's revelation. Trouble is clearly coming, and we have been assured that there is nothing to fear. That is the point of the book of Revelation, that there is nothing to fear. Despite whatever may happen, despite whatever will go on, there is nothing to fear. We will live happily ever after if we stay true to God, to Christ, and to each other, the body. This has been a podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. We hope you are blessed by it. To find out more about CGI Burlington, visit our website at cgiburlington.org.